Welcome to the Bone Coach Show, dedicated to helping you understand all things related to diet, lifestyle, bone health, and how you can live and thrive with low bone density and osteoporosis. I'm your host, Kevin Ellis, certified health coach, health and wellness speaker, and above all else, your bone coach. After being diagnosed with osteoporosis in my early 30s, I transformed my health through diet and lifestyle and now help my clients and community members do the same through my online coaching practice, Bone Coach. Look, there are no quick and easy cures for low bone density, but the choices we make every single day can have a powerful impact on our bones, our health, and our general well-being. I'll share the research, interview the experts, and help you figure out how to get the conditions right in your body so you can better your bones through diet and lifestyle. Short disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor, and this show should not be considered medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare team before making medical decisions and changes to your diet and lifestyle. With that being said, let's get on with the show. Typically when people get a diagnosis from an oncologist, there is a a strong push to get treatment as soon as possible. And a lot of times it's not necessarily where the, the, the patient gets to take a deep breath and, you know, consider all the options. It's you have to do this yesterday, which can be very, you know, almost a bullying scenario. And I really encourage people to take their time because most cases it's not something aggressive. It's not something they have to do that week or, or anything like that. And if they take the time, you know, then they don't come back later saying, oh, I wish I'd really looked into this before. I wish I had done this. Um, they get to really address it the way they want to. And and just like you said, Kevin, it's not that there's a right way and a wrong way. It's what do you want to do? And in order to really explore that, you need a little time. If you haven't done so already, especially if you're newly diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis, or if your most recent bone density scan still showed more bone loss, go ahead and pause this episode and head over to bonecoach.com to sign up for your free seven day osteoporosis kickstart guide that's going to give you everything you need step by step by step over the next seven days to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones you won't want to miss that so pause this right now head over to bonecoach.com and i'll be here as soon as you get back welcome welcome to this episode of the bone coach show joining us today to explore the roadmap to prevent cancer recurrence is katrina foe katrina foe is a board certified holistic nutritionist who knows that when we look at health, we should be looking at the body as a whole. After overcoming her own cancer 100% naturally and driven by her core belief that the body can heal itself, Katrina went on to become board certified in holistic nutrition and trained to read functional labs. As a faculty member at Restorative Wellness Solutions, Katrina teaches practitioners to interpret functional labs and design individualized protocols. Katrina is also a certified metabolic approach to cancer practitioner having been trained and mentored by Dr. Nasha Winters. Katrina's approach to cancer addresses the root cause of the disease and empowers clients to keep it in remission without living in fear of recurrence. In her international bestseller, Nutritional Pilates, Katrina offers a framework for whole body health that casts light on potential obstacles that can obstruct well-being while providing proven strategies to sidestep chronic disease. Katrina, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm I'm looking forward to the conversation. So let's jump in and maybe talk about your background and how you got to this point of helping all these people prevent cancer recurrence. Absolutely. So for me, it started when I was nursing baby number five and I had a 
cystitis, a plug duct. And as it resolved, I realized that there was a golf ball size lump there that didn't go away. And at first, you know, I wasn't super concerned because a nursing woman's breast is shifting and changing, but I did go get it checked out and it came back as cancerous, which I wasn't expecting. We had already done a ton in terms of shifting our health and, you know, making our own uh, this and that. And we even moved out to the country to raise our own meat animals because we were getting so you know, trying to improve our health. And it just seemed kind of inconceivable that I I had cancer. So digging into, because we had had all those experiences with food and seeing the healing that I had already done in our family, we, I decided to um, address everything hundred percent naturally. And so, you know, there were a lot of bumps and, and twirls on the road, but eventually I found functional medicine and uncovered what was driving my cancer and was able to get it into remission. That's so important. Getting to the root cause of the issue, not just making assumptions, making objective decisions and really trying to figure things out. I think that's so important. And a lot of times people just, you know, they, they get a diagnosis, they don't have all the pieces. And in that moment, they're presented with different options and they have to make a decision. And I know there's a lot of emotions and they're, Maybe hard to get family members rallied around, you know, wanting to support. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I was very blessed to have a lot of family that was very supportive, um, but there were some that didn't. And I think one of the best things that I ever did, and I encourage my clients to do something along this lines, is I sent an email out to literally everyone that I knew, you know, letting them know, hey, this is this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. I, I covet your prayers, please pray for me. But if you don't agree with what I'm doing, I would ask that you just please keep it to yourself because I don't want any negativity during this healing time. And there were, there were some family members that, you know, opted out and I appreciated the fact that they respected that I didn't want the negativity, but the amount of support that I had pouring in because you know not everyone knew before that it was just overwhelming and such a beautiful thing. Yeah, that is, that is. And I know everybody's situation is different, right? And there's no shame in necessarily going one approach or another approach or not, because there are a lot of factors that are playing into those decisions. But maybe could you talk about what does the process look like for somebody when they're diagnosed with cancer and, you know, making those decisions? How are they finding that out? Maybe let's just talk about those things first. Yeah. Typically when people get a diagnosis from an oncologist, there is a a strong push to get treatment as soon as possible. Um, And a lot of times it's not necessarily where the, the, the patient gets to take a deep breath and, you know, consider all the options. It's, you have to do this yesterday, which can be very, you know, almost a bullying scenario. And I really encourage people to take their time because most cases it's not something aggressive. It's not something they have to do that week or or anything like that. And if they take the time, you know, then they don't come back later saying, oh, I wish I'd really looked into this before. I wish I had done this. Um, they get to really address it the way they want to. And and just like you said, Kevin, it's not that there's a right way and a wrong way. It's what do you want to do? And in order to really explore that, you need a little time. Yeah. And 
And what are the potential options? So you said you're you're in that conversation, you're presented with different options there, but then also you you chose a specific approach for yourself as well. Could you explore each of those approaches? Yeah. So with standard of care, it's usually surgery, chemo, and radiation. And the oncologist will tell you which or all of those they think would be appropriate. Now in the alternative care, there are there are thousands. There are so many different things. It's completely overwhelming and it can actually play a mind game. And I mean, you can go bankrupt and have no time. It can be a full-time job doing all of it. And this is where I recommend clients, you know, you need to be intentional and figure out what are the treatments and therapies that are right for you. And what I was surprised to learn is that, you know, there are, while there's some really great things, say IV vitamin C, IV vitamin C is something I use with clients all the time. It can be extremely beneficial, but it's not for everyone. There are specific tests like the G6PD that you want to be running to see if it's appropriate. Um, You want to look if they're in a catabolic or anabolic state to see if it is going to be something that's going to drive the cancer into a worse state, which actually can happen. I've seen it. Um, it's not a one size fits all. And there's a lot of practitioners out there that are, oh, every client gets these supplements and these protocols, which is not what I'm recommending. So there's a happy medium place where you can find, you know, what of standard of care and what of alternative care can really integrate and be complementary. You know, so looking at diet, diet, diet drives everything. And, you know, if you are doing chemotherapy, for example, doing it in a fasted ketogenic state actually makes the chemotherapy more effective, you know, so you can integrate these two and have a beautiful meld that's completely customized and personalized to you. I want to explore that a little bit more in just a second, but what really piqued my interest also is when you mentioned G6 PD uh, and not, I've never had anybody bring that up. I don't think I've ever talked about it, but I actually have G6 PD deficiency and for, for everybody listening, this is an, it's an inherited condition, but it's when the body doesn't have enough of this enzyme called G6PD, glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase, and it's a deficiency. And if you consume, consume certain foods like fava beans, for example, that can lead to hemolytic anemia. And the only reason I knew that is because I was in the Marine Corps and they did all these different tests and blood tests. And I knew that they had to... Uh, I think they were trying to decide which malaria pills or medication they were going to give me. And they, I couldn't take, I think Primoquin is maybe what it was called. Maybe I'm misspeaking here, but there was one that I couldn't take because they said I had G6PD deficiency, but that's how I knew. Most other people probably don't know, but that that could be something to get checked and ruled out. So that was interesting that you brought that up. And then you were talking about diet nutrition right? When it comes to cancer, let's maybe let's explore that a little bit more. Yeah. And I'm sure your audience is super familiar with how important diet is, but when you're talking about cancer, you know, the base thing to know is that cancer is a metabolic disease. Um, We've known this since the 1930s when Otto Warburg won the Nobel prize showing us the connection that what happens inside the cancer cells is it completely shifts its metabolism to a very inefficient anaerobic state where it needs lots and lots of blood sugar. So the glucose. So 
to the end that a cancer cell is going to start a process called angiogenesis to create new blood vessels so that it can get more blood sugar so that it can just explode in terms of growth. And, you know, knowing a little bit about that and just understanding that's a metabolic disease, it becomes very apparent that diet's going to play a big part of it because you don't want to be giving it a blood sugar constant supply. So if your blood sugar is constantly high, you know, so, you know, after meals, it's going to 150 or something versus staying in a nice 70 to 90, you are pouring gasoline on the fire and just fueling the cancer to be able to explode and grow faster. And you mentioned a ketogenic diet, I believe, right? So you mentioned that. Within that, are there specific foods that you like to see people consuming or that just maybe general sense? I know everybody's uniquely different, but are there some ones that are just generally most people tolerate them well? Yeah. So the the idea we want first off is that it's a clean diet. So not the Velveeta, you know, and, and junk keto oh. diet that's out there now. Velveeta. Oh. <laughs> But I mean, seriously, people are doing that and calling it keto. And that's not at all what I'm talking about. So super clean, you know, not the processed junk food. Um, but so it's a base of low carb vegetables. And that's what you want to use as your conduit to put the beautiful sauces on, you know, with non-inflammatory seed oils and canola oils, things like, you know, um, butter and avocado oil and uh, olive oil and such like that. And then, you know, some good grass finished, clean meat that's of high quality. Not a lot, because if you have too much, it can actually convert into carbs in the process called gluconeogenesis that we don't want as well. So this is where, you know, you want to dive in things like cruciferous, um, leafy greens, um, the brassicas, they have so many phytonutrients, um, as well as good fiber that's going to feed your microbiome that you really want to get. So those are what you want to fill your plate with in terms of carbs. And again, you want them to be there so that they can hold all the fat because no one wants to eat, you know, spoonfuls of mayonnaise. That's gross. Yeah, for sure. And, and sulforaphane is probably one of the, the important compounds there. You want to talk about that one and maybe any other ones? Yeah. Yeah. These, these low carb veggies have tons of those phytonutrients. Sulforaphane is one that's a lot in the brassicas and the, and the garlics and the onions and such. And that's going to be a key component in your detox components in processing. So your liver is going to need a lot of sulforaphane, um, to actually process out toxins. So not only do we want to get the toxins down, but then with the food, we can give the body what it needs to get the toxins that are still getting in or are already there out in a more efficient manner. If it doesn't have the building blocks and things it needs, the body's not going to be able to do what it needs to do. Absolutely. And sulforaphane is great for preventing that osteoclast breakdown of the bones too. So that's yeah. another helpful compound. And let's, let's talk about testing just for a second, because when somebody's looking at lab testing, sometimes it can be really hard to figure out what ones are going to be really important. Are there some, some staples that you like to see, or maybe some specific lab tests that you think everybody should be getting if they are concerned about cancer or maybe that they have cancer ones that they want to monitor? Absolutely. So I'll just give you the rundown in my year-long program, I include all the functional testing up front so that we know what's going on. I do not want any surprises. And the big thing with cancer is that it's not one thing. 
you know, it's, it's a myriad of things that create this perfect storm, usually like six to eight of the 10 areas that we're looking at that are known cancer drivers will be off. Um, so I always run a very extensive blood work. So we're looking at things like the liver function and thyroid function, vitamin D levels, um, looking at the blood sugar markers, like we talked about all of this stuff, as well as additional cancer markers to see specifically, um, in depth. And then there's three markers in there that are the most important because um, they're inflammatory markers and we watch them every month. So we call this the trifecta. It's the HSCRP, the SED rate, and the LDH. Um, and usually I get that with the isoenzymes. And those are going to show us if something is going sideways. So if they're taking some kind of a, a treatment um, and it's flaring things up, or you've got tumor progression, metastasis stuff, that's where you're going to see it way before, you know, you get the next scan and such. Can you, um, can you touch yeah. on just each of those tests? And and some people may have never heard of some of those before. Yeah. So HSCRP as the high sensitivity C-reactive protein, a lot of people get the just general CRP, um, but we really want the HS for the high sensitivity. And sometimes that's called cardio. Um, usually it's looked at as a cardio function marker, but again, it's really more inflammation and we'll be able to see, um, I mean, cancer is inflammatory. And when the inflammation markers, these three amongst others are going, you know, exploding, we know that something's progressing cancers on the move. Let's see the said rate. Again, this is another marker that's usually looked at in terms of cardiac and, we are going to see that go crazy with cancer. Um, you'll, I've seen in, enormous rates. The said rates usually under 10 and a lot of times it goes much, much, much higher. And the LDH lactose dehydrogenase, this is something that is going to be looked at a lot of times with blood sugar. So when it's low, I use it, uh, to see that people are probably having some reactive hypoglycemia. Um, so their blood sugar is dipping down and then, you know, bouncing all over the place. And with cancer, we see it high. So it's an inflammatory marker uh, when it's going over, you know, up in, in the higher numbers over 200 and things like that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm, I'm sure it's helpful because people get a lot of tests. They don't know which ones they've actually gotten. They don't know what the results mean. And it's really helpful to hear that kind of breakdown. Kevin, I'm going to interrupt you. All these tests, I, I totally agree with you because people want to know what do I order? What do I do? The free ebook that I'll be happy to give your, your, your audience has all these listed out in it too. So oh, if well, you're that's... scurrying to make notes, you've got it written down. Let's do that. Okay. So let's mention whatever this, the ebook is that we want to, what's the name of the ebook? Cause we'll link to it in the show notes uh, at the end here. Yeah. It's the roadmap to cancer to prevent cancer recurrence. And so I go over all these different labs and what you want to look for and stuff to get to those what are your root cause drivers that allow the cancer to proliferate and such? Okay, fantastic. Yeah, so we'll link to that in the show notes, everyone. So if you were trying to scribble and take notes on those last three tests, we've got a couple more that are going to be in this guide that Katrina is going to share with us at the end. Uh, let's go into any other common drivers behind yes. cancer. Let's talk about that. Absolutely. So besides the blood work, um, one of the tests I'll run is the GI map. So a stool panel, I want to look at the digestive function as well as if there's any critters that shouldn't be there and to see how their good gut bacteria are doing um, in that. 
in terms of environmental toxins. And this is the area that people do not, they don't really think to look for. Um, and it just kind of perplexes me because we have so many chemicals and toxins in our environment that we know from research are known carcinogens. They drive cancer and they drive things like osteoporosis. They drive things like, you know, um, Alzheimer's and such. And yet no one's really testing for them. So I always do a heavy metal test, a mold test, and a non-metal chemical test to really get an idea of what is if impacting this person, what's coming in from their environment so we can stop the inflow and then depending on what shows up, really get that cleaned up. And so it's not bothering the body. And, you know, you've, you've also, I've heard you mention something about the 10 terrains that are yes. root cause drivers of cancer. Can we touch on those as well? Absolutely. I'll go over all 10 and give you just a little bit. And if you want to dive into any of the others um, as well, and there are a couple others tests that I'll mention that um, I also run at the beginning that are included. So with these tests, we're getting a view of all of those 10 terrain. So the first is metabolic. We've talked about that. That has to do with your blood sugar and how the cells metabolize energy. Um, the next would be hormones. So that's one of the other tests I do is a Dutch test to see sex hormones. And, you know, especially for women that are cycling still, it's really important and key to see the entire cycle. And this also is going to include the, uh, the, this bucket is including the thyroid hormones, which I test on the blood. The microbiome is another area. And that's going to, we're going to look at that in the stool and the digestive function capacity. The fourth is angiogenesis. So this is what I was mentioning in terms of creating new blood vessels. And there's markers, particularly things like copper and ceruloplasmin, the VEGF, that you really want to see, is this going crazy? Is this signaling the body to create new blood vessels? Because we do not want that. Um, stress. Stress is an area that people have a hard time with. So we're looking at the adrenal hormones on that Dutch test, as well as the whole circadian rhythm. And there's a lot of things that can drive, um, you know, the inflammation, infections, blood sugar dysregulation, but also just the stress in the daily life. And this could be good stress, like uh, we just had a baby or, you know, there's a wedding coming up, but it can also be bad stress. And you know, figuring out and navigating how to reduce that stress is super important. We mentioned the environmental toxins and the different tests that I run. And I'm just going to say there are not tests to run all the toxins possible out there. So this is just getting a small snippet and hopefully there'll be more out there. Epigenetics. Epigenetics is a great terrain area that most people think of cancer as being genetically driven. And only uh, less than 10% of cancer is actually genetically driven. Um, it's usually more a matter of epigenetics. So that means that when people have a genetic SNP, you know, they can be turned on and turned off by things like diet and lifestyle. So for example, for me, I have a very fast, calm T gene. That means that I just like blow through my sex hormones and my neurotransmitters. And so there's things I can do like drinking lots of matcha that slows me down so that I'm not too low in, um, in my sex hormones. And particularly for me, I know that osteoporosis runs strongly in my family. My mom has it, my grandma had it, and this is going to help me keep that estrogen at a good place so that I don't just, you know, tank it and then end up with osteoporosis later. Immune. Immune function, this is the area that the 
should be watching for rogue cancer cells and addressing it. And if there's things like autoimmune conditions, low vitamin D levels and such, it's not going to be able to do its job. And we really want that full throttle. Inflammation. We talked a little bit about this with the trifecta, but we want to make sure that we calm things down. And this has a lot of overlap with the other terrain areas. And last but not least is the mental emotional component. So there's not a really great functional test for this besides like a ACE um, adverse childhood events kind of quiz. But the big thing is that usually in the year prior to a cancer diagnosis, something has hurt that cancer client's heart deeply, whether it's, you know, a death in the family, a loss of a job, or, you know, there's a lot of different ways that can play out, but really dealing with that and not ignoring it is super key to getting in remission, staying there. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for walking through each of those. Did we did we cover all? We, covered- we got all 10. It was fast, but there you go. <laughs> oh, amazing. And while, as you were going through there, you mentioned a a drink that you drink sometimes, matcha. Um, yeah. Any specific reason other than just the, the calm tea that you like to drink matcha? No, it's just the calm tea. Um, and honestly, this is an interesting point because most cancer clients have a fast calm tea, uh, meaning that they don't, you know, turn over their sex hormones and process them out properly. And so they have kind of a backlog. A lot of times this will end up with an estrogen dominance side. Um, I actually was estrogen dominant when I was diagnosed with cancer. So something was not functioning right, but typically this is works in my benefit and my favor. But so for my clients, when I see this and they have a slow calm tea, I'm going to be like, "Eh -eh, no matcha. And this is why it's really important to do the testing because so often if you look out in, you know, the internet, you'll see matcha. It's got lots of ECGC. It's fantastic for cancer. Everyone should drink matcha. And that's actually not true because somebody that has a, a slow calm tea, it's going to make their situation worse with the hormones. So it, it really is very bio-individual and knowing your SNPs and how that you can work with that epigenetically is super important. And it's like, you know, the nuance of that, which is great. Are there other little nuanced, a couple other little nuanced nuggets maybe that people may... They may think that this is something that I should be doing. Everybody says I should be doing this, that you know that may not actually be the case for everybody. Yeah. So another SNP that we, well, a group of SNPs were the MTHFR SNPs, and those are really important for detoxification and just methylation in general. Um, And if people have these issues, depending on which how many of them and which ones they have, it can really slow the process down for them. And there's some some things that you can do if you have them to supplement and make sure that you are getting what you need for those building blocks. And there's also some things that you want to watch out for. So one of the big things is that if you have MTHFR SNPs, which I have for those too, um, you want to watch out for synthetic forms and make sure that you get methyl Bs because the folic acid, which is in most supplements in terms of like a a multi of this or that nature, if you are taking folic acid, it can actually block the receptor sites for those, um, for that folate, that uh, B9 and make it so that you're getting less than, and it's actually making the problem worse, not making it better. And you you think you're making it better by taking a multivitamin. Um, This is a really big thing for pregnant women as well. Um, But having those 
those genes and knowing what you have, then, you know, for me, like I know I've got stock is sitting in, in the house because I know I'm going to be taking that forever. It's an issue for me versus this is a temporary thing. And you can see how you're doing by looking at your homocysteine on your blood work. That's going to give you like a, this is the current status, you know? So if I'm taking my, my methyl uh, vitamins in the high doses, my homocysteine's awesome. It's doing really well. And if I don't, it's going to go sideways and get really elevated. So you can see it in real time as well as, you know, your genetic predisposition. What have we not discussed that we should discuss? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's, there's so much with cancer. And I think the big thing is that people need, I want people to know that there's so many more options. There's so much out there that they can do, but you want to make sure that you're doing it strategically. Because like I said, you can spend a fortune and make it a full-time job to be working on this and not have it work. Uh, a lot of the alternative cancer therapists are throwing wet spaghetti in the wall. They're not testing and it gets very expensive, um, doing the hyperbaric oxygen and IV vitamin C's It costs a lot of money. And sometimes the most elegant, simple strategies, when you're looking at the testing and really paring things down and prioritizing what needs to be done can be the most effective. I love that. Well, let's tell people how you know, how you actually help them, how you work with them and where they can find. We'll, we'll link to all the resources and things like that in the show notes. So if you want to go ahead and share that too. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is cancerfreedom.com and I work with cancer clients um, one-on-one and my group program is going to be launching at the beginning of the year. So excited about that. We do also do retreats um, all from time to time. And I've got the ebook that I'll I'll send to you guys so you guys can get the link and get the free ebook. I am on Instagram, just my name, Katrina Foe. So if you want to connect with me, I'd love to, to hear more. Wonderful. And for everybody listening, uh, I know I've uh, I've enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure you've all learned a lot as well. So I want to thank you again, everybody, so much for your time. We'll link to all the resources, show notes, everything right down below. You just click the link. It'll take you to bonecoach.com and we'll see you in the next episode. Hope you found this episode of the Bone Coach Show helpful. You can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned over at bonecoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, be sure to share it with someone you love, a friend, family member, even a group of people. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode that can help you improve your bones, your health, and your future. One last reminder, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com for more great resources to help you get on the path to stronger bones and an active future. I'm your bone coach, Kevin Ellis. I'll see you in the next episode.